This season of The Ready State is sponsored by Uller, makers of the Chili Pad. Guess what the Chili Pad is? Or what the Uller is? It is this, I don't know, I don't know, it's like a box of a miracle. I don't even sure how the technology works. But what ends up happening is I put it underneath my sheet, I turn it on, my bed stays the same cool temperature all night. I don't wake up. Do you remember I used to have this thing called the regulator? Do you remember what the regulator the was? Regulator is when you have like one half of one of your legs sticking out of the covers all night long. Yeah. And I don't have to have a fan sticking up my head. I don't have to have the regulator out like I'm half in, half out. We uh, discovered the Chili Pad, which is the original version of this thing, at a conference where they were, I mean, we go to these conferences and I all I see is like there's so much crap in the world we don't need. And one of the things that we are always trying to wrap our heads around is first principles. And one of the first principles and the thing that we are sort of super obsessed about is protecting and improving our sleep. Guess what? This did it. I was, I was in a phase where I was tracking my sleep. And when I got started sleeping on the chili pad, it went through the roof. Yeah, for all you nerds out there who track your sleep, uh, you, you can probably double your deep sleep sleeping on an Uller slash chili pad. Now, check this out. This season is all about aging, right? And one of the things that happens when some uh, half the population gets a little older, sometimes they sleep really hot. This has been a miracle for some of our women friends who are perimenopausal and menopausal and starting to get the hot flashes at night. They can drop their temperature. Of course, because the Uller is so clever, it can make your bed hot. So if you're like Juliet and want to sleep on the surface of the sun, you can knock yourself out. If you are like me and the rest of us who need to be a little bit cooler, the chili pad is for you. If you want to learn more about this amazing product and get your hands on a discount, head over to Chili Technology. That's C-H-I-L-I technology.com slash T-R-S. Hey, everyone. I'm Dr. Kelly Starrett. And I'm Juliette Starrett. And you're listening to the Ready State Podcast. Petra Kolber is an author, speaker, podcast host, and most recently a DJ. She is a wellness leader who's known throughout the industry as a crusader for change and a beacon of authentic happiness. In August 2018, Petra released her first book called The Perfection Detox, which made its debut at number one in new releases on Amazon. Petra has over 30 years of experience in the fitness industry and has been honored with some of the most prestigious awards, including more Speaker of the Year and Instructor of the Year titles than we can even list here. For over a decade, she was spokesperson for Reebok traveling around the world, starring on their VHS tapes, yep, you heard that right, and was a regular fitness host on Fit TV. As a two-time cancer survivor, she is passionate about waking people up to the precious gift of time. Her mission is to inspire people to move more, fear less, and build an inspired life full of joy and gratitude. We are so grateful to have Petra Kolber today on the podcast. Petra, welcome to the Ready State Podcast. We are thrilled. I was going to say stoked, but actually I'm deeply thrilled to have you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. My absolute privilege. I'm super excited to be with you guys. You know, it, it seems like the only time I'm either hanging out with you, you're on stage ex receiving, you know, prestigious lifetime awards and or DJing <laughs> or being fabulous. So thanks for uh, thanks for slumming it with us. Oh, a girl has to do what a girl has to do. It's, <laughs> it's lovely to have more than 20 seconds um, with you both in passing in a convention hallway. So um, yes. I'm really grateful for this time. We are so excited to have you. So I'll get started. You know, 
I think people may know you as an inspirational speaker and more recently as a DJ, but you have a super long and colored history in the fitness world. Can you give us a little background about your, your fitness experience? Yeah. You know, it's long when people say, oh my gosh, I used to work out with your VHS tapes. I'm like, okay, hold on, hold on. I don't I actually go had back you that Betamax. far, but I do. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I was very blessed. Um, I got into fitness in the heydays of aerobics. It was called aerobics in the time, like early nineties in New York city. And, um, I had a background of dance and I have much stronger English accent at the time and through long and just circumstances and drive and determination, I got hooked up with this company called Reebok, where I had also met Kelly later, like just two decades later. And, um, you know, I saw like everybody, I was teaching like way too many classes in New York City, you know, 30, you know, 25, 30 classes a week. Oh my God. That was my job. I know drinking slim fast on the subway. Don't judge. Um, <laughs> and then it, my job became a career. I Reebok found me. They asked, they were looking for another face of fitness. They had this amazing gal called Jen Miller who had done step and launched the whole step program with Reebok. And they were looking for this dance based fitness leader. I got the gig. I did a video, my first VHS with Nancy Carrigan, uh, right after she got hit on the knee <laughs> by Tanya Harding. So that was my foray. And I went from teaching a million classes to being a fitness celebrity very quickly. I got, I was very blessed. I had 10 years under contract that allowed me to pull back on teaching, move into a career. And yeah, through um, ups and downs, the great, this is one piece of advice I remember Jen Miller gave me on my first time I met her. She goes, even if you have a company, never lose your name for the sake of a company. So back in the day when I was invited to do a convention through Reebok, I'd also say, hey, do you mind if I just do a, you know, a class under my name? So well, we're not going to pay you because you're sponsored by Reebok. I said, no worries, I'll just do it. And because of that, when Reebok went away, as they always will, because it's going to be a different face and they want a fresh uh, perspective. I totally get that. Luckily, because I'd also kept my name out there alongside Reebok, when Reebok went away, people still knew of Petra. So I then moved into my own production, DVDs, TV. Yeah, it's been a really great, fantastic journey. I would just like to say that, you know, for those who don't know aerobics, the instructor is actually doing the whole class. <laughs> with the students. So 30 classes a week, you know, we own a CrossFit gym and our coaches are actually not doing the workout with the students. So there would be no way they could do 30 classes. So I just, I just want to say how impressive that is. And it's not even that you're doing and teaching, you're talking in a reasonable voice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's, that's the thing yeah. that always kind of I mean, blows my mind. I'm like, what is going on here? Who is this person? Why does she have five lungs? I know. And it's weird. It's like, I go, I look back now to the day when we didn't have such thing as a microphone. I'd be teaching to a class of 80 people yelling over the music, losing my voice. So I just spray chloroseptic because oh. I couldn't. So, you, so and I wondered why I had, you know, stress fractures. And as you look back now going, OMG, this is basically torture and you get paid like $15 an hour. But man, it was just such a great time. And I just loved every second of it. You could just smoke all the Virginia Slims and drink all the tab and, the and slay it. Oh man, I just the whole image. Um, <laughs> you know, w this season we're trying to wrap our heads around aging, longevity. You know, one of the reasons that you're so compelling to talk to is, I mean, who you are and what you're doing today still, but you really were one of the first anchors 
of general fitness when sort of the rest of the world realized that, hey, fitness isn't just the domain of sports, but really transitioning into, you know, you've got to do this to live long. And I think, you know, in the 80s and 90s, we made some big mistakes, you know, lots of overtraining, you know, the the model was just do more of it. And, you know, if you look backwards now, what would you tell yourself? Because you you were this one fitness icon, especially among women, when when even in 1991, women weren't sailing around the world yet, you know, in competing, and we weren't even viewing women or you know as 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 athletes or having their own shoes or own needs, and definitely not unique physiologies. Yeah, I mean, I think looking back. You know, like you said, we made a lot of mistakes. And I think the biggest mistake, from a fe- especially from a female perspective, we made, and we still do to some point today, but I think the whole conversation is getting better, is that we made what you look like the definition of success. Mm-hmm. That you got the six pack, that was a win. You, you know, looked like the Jane Fonda cover, that was a win. I, you know, and I was guilty of that too. And we never said it specifically, but that was the win. We were not moving for longevity. We were not moving for how we felt. We were moving for how you looked like. End of story. I don't think the feeling, the talk about emotions or um, self-awareness or confidence ever came into the equation. So, and there was a lot of good, though. There was community. There was joy. There was um, a lot of good. But I think the damage I would say to my younger self was, and I don't know if I did this deliberately, but any messaging that you're going to do to people in front of you, whether it's one, ten, or a thousand, never let that message be success is what you look like. Let that message be success is how hard you work today. Did you show up? Did you give, did you give it your all? Did you get up even though you wanted to go under the blankets because you know, your loved one just left you? You know, let's look at why we move and just not, I always, you know, a lot of my, my new messaging is like, I'm not here to change your workout. I'm here to change why you work out here to change the driver. So it's not, you're not running away from your, you know, you're not running away from getting older. You're running towards what you can become with all this wisdom. So it's just like, are we moving to, you know, because we, we loathed ourselves or are we moving ourselves because, oh my God, we get this body that's going to move us into a life of our dreams. And, you know, like you talk about getting older in the industry as someone who was a pioneer in the industry, that's tricky for sure. You know, it's it's interesting and timely. Today in the New York Times, there was a really great article by a woman runner named Mary Kane who uh, was very, very young and promising and talented and then went right into this system where she just got chewed up and really uh, fell into relative energy deficiency syndrome, which is a real problem. She stopped getting her period, stress fractures, uh, psychoemotionally just super abusive and destructive. And she, so she wrote this sort of op-ed and kind of talked about it today. And it's actually started a, a lot of conversation amongst the men and women coaches that I work with. And what's really interesting is that people are certainly products of the system, but I think it's very timely that you're talking about not exercising for weight, right? And that, or, 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 or only exercising because I hate myself so that I can eat a certain way. Because if we're real, what's interesting about this young generation of women who are really struggling for to eat enough calories to support the, the real and sustained loads, which is not unlike what you did, you know, teaching 30 classes, to be honest, 
is that they actually set themselves up for huge amounts of neuroendocrine dysfunction, that they crash their thyroid, their, they get, their neuroendocrine axis gets off, they, you know, they're susceptible to a whole lot of diseases. That happens in our 20s when, we, when our aesthetics really matter. We are still getting it really, really wrong, even today, especially with our young athletes, in terms of taking this view towards, you know, hey, you're going to probably be 90. And, uh, you know, I, I, would you speak to that a little bit? Um, look, I, I think it's such, it's, and we can talk, look, so it's such a weird place to be because there's one thing to be competitive. And I think that's a really healthy thing. I'm of an age right now where I, I could either go into this idea of, well, I'm like, I'm 56. Maybe I need to do things differently. And I think I call it like the crack in the teacup. Like, when do you honor your body for the years behind it? Or when do you use your years as an excuse, let's say, but going back to like the young kids today, well, there is so much more knowledge, which is a wonderful thing. Like, look, let's be honest. I asked Kelly right before the show, cause I pulled my calf muscle working out with the freaking 20 year olds this morning. I'm like, <laughs> Kelly, do we ice? Do we not? I don't know anymore. But with the knowledge, there also comes overload. And I look right now, and I was thinking about this with a friend last week, if I had what, if I had the success and what I was doing in my twenties, early thirties with social media, oh, yeah. that's the whole other element, right? So we have this knowledge base and we have, you know, we need to be on social maybe to promote what we're doing. It's really hard to be an athlete these days and not be of that so people can become aware of you and you get the great sponsorships because look all I know is these days if you're writing a book you want a sponsorship the first question is how many followers you have so there's that I I would just say to everybody you've got to and you know this Kelly and Juliet it's just like the best coach you'll ever have is your intuition and this morning, my intuition was telling me two minutes before I pulled my calf muscle, oh, you're getting a little bit out of your comfort zone right here. Is this ego or is this your age? <laughs> and it was ego. My ego, when I did that last sprint, my age, you're not pushing out. You're, this should, my, I should have taken that last, you know, stepped out for that last set. And I didn't. My ego's like, screw it. I used to be able to do this. Let me go again. And guess what I did? So... I think whether you're on social, whether you're competing, whether you feel like, do I go for that extra trip? Just take a moment of pause, get super quiet. And what's my inner coach telling me? Because she or he is never wrong. And it's just when we listen to all that noise, whatever, when we start training because we think we should to keep up with our other person who is an inspiration at one point, and then that inspiration becomes comparison. And then that comparison becomes, I'm training for the wrong reasons. Is it the external drive versus the internal intrinsic feeling of love of movement? It's a slippery slope, and we just got to keep coming back to that inner coach of our intuition. We're all we're all sitting around yeah. the table, nodding our heads, nodding looking heads. at each other. Yeah. So um, Kelly yep. and I have actually talked about this before on this podcast, but I think it took us into to being in our forties before we we've sort of taken on this. Uh, uh, idea of training when we have the desire to train and actually sort of being in touch with those feelings. Um, you know, when we were in our twenties and thirties, we we're like three days on one day off or train six days a week, no matter what. And, you know, just crushed ourselves. And we've really worked hard to listen to that inner voice that says, do I actually feel like training today? 
And, and, and to be honest, we we're, we're talking yeah. about training. We're, yeah. Juliet is, you know, yeah, world champion. We're, always, so we're not talking about moving or walking. No, we're, right? yeah, we're always active in some way, but we're talking about like, do I have a desi- desire to actually breathe hard, lift a heavy weight, otherwise crush myself today? And it's taken us this many years. You know, we're both 45 and, or I guess we're 46. And it's taken us, <laughs> it's taken us this many years to sort of be able to get, even just start to get in touch with that and, and not just crush ourselves no matter what. Yeah, I think always, I mean, too, is also what's underneath that feeling. It's, you know, it's why am I working out? Do I need that? You know, and for many of us, look, I know for myself, I have more focus, more energy, more attention. My day is better. I work for myself. I am just nicer to be around. When I've done a really hard workout that I cannot do on my own, I've joined classes again, like kind of like a, you know, um, competitive um, competitive setting that I haven't done in years. And again, it's just coming back to like keeping that sense of community, keeping that sense of healthy competition, but not allowing my inner ego to go, okay, girl, you need to keep up with this person next to you because you used to be this person, you know, and, and bring the best of what you were from my twenties, thirties, forties into my fifties. And then also leave that external crap that, no longer serves me, which is, you know, some days I'm better at it. And obviously this morning I wasn't quite as, I, you know, I always say, do what I say, not what I do, because today my ego won. And that'll be my new t-shirt. Don't let your ego win. <laughs> today my ego won. Today my ego won. We should make that a t-shirt. That's tweeting, amazing. Tweeting now. So uh, Petra, you are obviously, you know, a fitness celebrity and icon. You do a ton of motivational speaking. You know, one of the things that I want to talk to you about that I think is so relevant in this aging and longevity conversation is your work helping people with their emotional issues. And I really want to ask you how you see the role of happiness in aging. Oh, damn. (laughs) Take a big pause. I'm listening to my intuition going, do I tell them the truth? Um, You know, for me, what, what this all began where, you know, for years, I had been interested with the neck down, like you guys. It was like for 30 years, I studied the neck down, never even thinking what happened between the ears. And I found this thing called positive psychology six years ago. And I was like, fascinated. I went back to school with Dr. Tal Ben-Shahar and there's like 180 people from around the world. And then they broke you up into what you did. There was coaches and there was yoga teachers and then they had fitness. And I was the only fitness person. I was like, oh God, this is so interesting and so terrifying. And so I created this program called um, Moving to Moving to Happiness. And it really was just a one day, let's revisit how we look at coaching from the fitness perspective. And again, the why behind the workout. Because what I was seeing is I would be training across the world, these incredible people. And I'm sh- maybe you've seen this in, in your studio, is that People come up to me afterwards and they go, oh my God, how did I get rid of this? And they go, this little, they pinch like a millimeter of their belly. And all they could see was everything that was wrong with them. I'm like, oh my God, you guys are magnificent beings. And again, I think because we had made the body the definition of success through movement, especially in the exercise fitness, um, you know, indoor studio, maybe less in the CrossFit world, but in this indoor studio aerobics, it was really what you looked like, end of story. So we had done so much damage, like, oh, how do we change this? So, and then let's put on this whole thing of getting older. So it's not just your body breaking down to some extent, but then you have this other thing. There's people dying, 
you know, as you get older, there's more death that comes across your way. There's more broken relationships, ended marriages, ended relationships, you know, there's a lot of other stuff that comes. So I think what the work around now, happiness is just a prong. If I said, you know, are you going to age happily? I, so for me, you know, happiness is interval training. It's not steady state. It's <laughs> training. It's like, oh, you got moments of peak joy, right? And then you get moments of like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? But it's being able to sustain the, the lower challenging moments in life. That's why we do this work. And that when the moments are going great in your workout, out of your workout, in your relationships with others, with yourself in community, you get to savor it without going, oh my God, when is the shoe going to drop? And then in the, in the challenging moment, moments, in your workout, with injury, with the loss of a loved one, you get to say, okay, I have the resilience, I have the grit, I can pull on others, I can go to my community at CrossFit and pull on those people. So it's really just having the wherewithal, for me, happiness simply comes down to what is under the feeling. Taking the time to go, what is the thought that triggered the feeling, that triggered the action, that triggered my habit, that triggered my future. And it all comes out slowing down so that you can speed up when you need to. Um, and then also slow down for those days. Like you had said, maybe today's not the best day to crush my workout, crush my work, whatever that might be. Maybe it's just a day of reflection and recovery. Because I know you guys know this as human beings, we were designed for moments of intense activity and intense reflection and recovery. And I think as, the, as you move on in years, that's more important than ever, the recovery and reflection and being in community. I don't know if that answered your question at all, but to me, it's all about the thought that's triggering the feelings, the actions, and that's the bit that I'm really interested in, both inside the gym and in our life. Yeah, it it definitely answered my question, and I love what you're saying. You know, uh, another thing that I know you've talked about, and Kelly and I are, uh, it's a subject that interests us a lot, and that's about just being uncomfortable and taking risks. What's what is your perspective on you know risk taking, making yourself uncomfortable, just in the context of aging and longevity? Yeah, that's you, a great question. Do you, th yeah, do you think do you think we get better at that or worse at that? <laughs> <laughs> I hope, I hope we get better. I think, because people often say to me, in, in a little different way, taking this outside of even a gym setting, people go, well, what do you believe, what do you think about the idea of doing it, doing it scared? So I'm again, come like, look, I'm going to keep coming back to working out because I'm beginning to work out again in a way that I haven't done in like 10 years. And I'm in a community setting. And the first time I walked back into that, I was afraid. I was afraid of standing out. I was afraid of not being able to keep up. I was afraid of injuring myself. And then really underneath that, I was afraid of not fitting in. If I really took time and go, what are you really afraid about? Are you really afraid about injuring yourself? No, because you kind of know yourself unless your ego wins the war, which it did today. Are you really afraid of not keeping up? No, you've been in positions like that. What I really was afraid of, and I think this does get this part gets harder as you get older. You're afraid of not fitting in because in many parts of our lives- <laughs> I just have to interrupt. Think I'm thinking about my 14-year-old daughter who is obsessed with obviously- Oh, in. well, I, this is why I wrote a book about perfectionism because it doesn't go away. It just changes its voice. So as a 14-year-old, you know, you're trying to keep up with everybody else. What do I look like? Am I saying the right thing? Am I in the right group? 
as you get older, that just changes to, ooh, am I young enough to fit in? Am I young enough to keep up? It's so weird. But then you flip the, to the positive side of that. You go, okay, you know what? I've got the wisdom. Only I get to choose if I'm young enough or no one gets to make that decision except for me. And that's why I think it's also hard work and heart work. When we take the time to listen to our souls calling our heart, why are you on this planet? Look, I know I have more years behind me than ahead of me. It's so weird. If someone dies now, oh God, this is not a depressant, I hope. This is just something. I now, go, I now take their, their age when they died and I subtract my years and go, oh crap, that means I would only have like 25 years to live. But with that, it's like, so what do I want to do with my wild, one and precious life? Am I going to spend it worrying whether I fit in? Or am I going to spend it making a difference and being a voice and a beacon, hopefully, of light for those that might not feel like they fit in and don't have a place to go? But the whole idea of fear, again, I say, hey, fear is also a really good teacher. I go, what's underlying that idea of fear? So taking it out of the gym arena, maybe it's, I'm now a solopreneur. I go out, I do keynotes, I do I write a book, I do presentations, and sometimes when I'm doing a keynote, I'm like, oh, I'm really feeling a bit anxious. So if the fear is telling me, you know what, you really haven't prepped enough, you should probably go and run your lines a couple more times, that's a good fear. But if my fear is telling me, oh, are you nervous of the audience? Are you going to be judged? That's a false fear. That's like, okay, you make ego, <laughs> ego stepping in. And then for that kind of fear, I'm like, ah, oh, let's just turn the lens off myself back onto the audience and the people I want to serve, because that kind of fear is not healthy. So I think, do we get better as it? As I think, to be honest, it depends on the circumstance. Fair enough. <laughs> we think that one of, the, one of the issues facing most of us today is that it's difficult to live as a modern, you know, psycho-emotional being, right? Contend with all of the, the pressures. And I, I don't think it's, it's necessarily worse than when our, my parents were around, but it's certainly different. Things combining for our time, the amount of work we can do at home, the demands, even just our children. I mean, Juliet and I are always talking about 70 summer for our kids, for example. But but here we are, and, and we've really radically and suddenly radically changed a lot of the environment in which the human being evolved, community, church, um, you know, group organizations. And one of the things we feel like is we're sort of witnessing frankly, the wholesale de-evolution of the human being in terms of this, the schism from eating f whole foods together, you know, being in a community, having downtime. Um, you know, one of the things that we're, we're always sort of trying to wrap our heads around is how do we get, you know, how do we remind people that what they're doing today is really setting themselves up for how they're going to live when they're 60, 70, and 80, even 100. We really believe we're going to be 100 years old. And one of the things that I think that caught us was that you – you know, postulated that you're seeing that these changes in behavior, specifically sitting, is sort of messing with our emotional health. And, and Juliet and I have come to recognize, you know, largely that we're seeing that just people aren't moving enough during the day. We don't see it's necessarily sitting versus standing in schools, but we're, we're seeing that there's not enough just base activity to be good human beings. But the, the emotional health piece really resonated with me. Would you talk about that? Yeah. And I love the work that you are doing in the schools. And, you know, even just watching, I was watching you being interviewed the other day, Kelly, you were talking about, or maybe it was something you did on a line about sitting on the floor, right? Getting down and up off the floor. And I was like, okay, cause I have a standing desk. And then I was sitting I'm like, okay, take my computer just to sit down on the floor again. When's the last time I did that? But I talk about, um, you know, we say, um, you know, sitting is the smoking of our generation. 
Um, but it's also the emotional. You cannot be at your best when you're sitting. The worst place for our health, our happiness, our focus, our self-esteem is sitting. And I have this really bad joke, but I'll share it now. And I say, you know, my job is to scare the sit out of you because <laughs> that's my next t-shirt. But, you know, I know when my, when my body is idle, my brain ramps up and not in a good way. When my body is idle, my negative inner critic, my, my worries, my doubts, that they ramp up. And it's not when I'm, meditation is a whole different thing, but when I'm sitting and I'm kind of half, not, when I'm sitting and I'm not fully focused, I think it's those two things together. I, don't, I think when you're sitting and you're partially focused, maybe you're distracted, maybe you're scrolling through your screen, that's the worst place, I believe, for your brain, your body, your beliefs. So I have this thing called stop. It's like when you feel like this negativity, whether it's questioning Whatever it is, you just, you know, your, your thought process is not moving you into your best self. Your thought process is like rumination versus reflection. You're looking at all the things you did wrong versus all that you're doing well. And we all know that space where you begin to feel like getting a little blue. It's like, stop. It's like, you know, S, stand up, T, take a walk. And it's not just moving your body. It's also moving your thoughts. So then, O, observe your surroundings because as we know if you're listening or smelling or tasting when you're you're in the present and then p pick a positive thought so to me it's not just moving the body it's moving your breath and also moving your thoughts and i think the piece that might be missed more than anything is we can still be moving our body and still ruminating in our mind but when we become uh, cognizant of the thoughts that are going through us and especially when you're moving the best catalyst to move your negative state into a positive there is nothing better than movement as we know for depression anxiety stress um aloneness i know when i went through a dev devastating breakup what got me back to normal was a walk and a run in central park nature and movement are the best healers in the place in the world you're here yeah you know when we're talking about as people get older we're dealing with a lot more pain we know that, and the research is very clear that keeping your brain engaged and developing sort of new neural pathways is is the magic right you know purpose design those things are deeply deeply integrated and ironically you know one of the things that becomes a base practice for Juliet and i as we've gotten older we've, we've come to realize that it's much more important is is walking you know, I think one of the things that Juliet and I hold sacrosanct is that, man, we got to get our 10,000 steps. And Juliet's a little bit more than me because she's a little bit more rad than I am. But it turns out that whether we're trying to Hyper, accumulate enough fatigue word. so that we can actually fall asleep, because sleep starts to become an issue and quality of sleep for some more, for more as we age a little bit. If we're talking about managing chronic pain or, or, or just beginning a, a, a process, I really appreciate that you're starting this, this tying in this, this psycho-emotional sort of self-awareness into this practice because the the research is very clear about the neuroplasticity that if you walk briskly your brain is very very turned on into paying attention to your surroundings turning on and making new connections because your brain is like mm, we're walking fast something must be going on here and i think that that is just a beautiful mnemonic trigger to do a lot of things i just i, I and i appreciate you know we as we get older 
or as we get wiser, you know, these first principles end up just driving so much of our behavior and thinking. And I think that that beautiful one of, hey, I'm not feeling myself. I should get up and walk. That's crucial. Yeah, and I think what's really interesting, I mean, we're seeing now in in women over 50, higher higher risks of anxiety, depression, and alcoholism. I mean, that is rampant. And I went through a really devastating relationship breakup when I was 50, 51, moved to New York on my own, and it was really interesting. I'll be completely you know, honest right now, is like at three o'clock, I couldn't bear the weight of this pain. And I would look at the clock and I'd have like a quarter of a glass of wine. And I knew that was, a, that was the chip in the teacup. Like if I didn't manage that, my life could have gone two roads. I was like, okay, go, you got to put this down. You got to go out into Central Park. Because I was I had enough emotional intelligence to know this is not the life you want to be living. But he said, small little chip in the teacup. I, then I get a, then I get an injury. I don't, I don't fully rehab the injury. I kind of work around the injury because I'm older and that's your chip in the teacup. And it's these more, many habits that become negative habits that if we're not a emotionally aware and in tune with the feeling underlying the habit of picking up that wine at three o'clock, okay, I could get the same effect of numbing or feeling and without the, you know, the um, depression afterwards, because you're going to take a depressant and then try and feel better from it. Why not go for a walk in the park that's going to make you feel way better without the, you know, the after effects. But there's so many people out there, Kelly and Juliet, that just, they don't know differently. They don't know neuroplasticity. They, oh, you know, we're of an age, we're like, oh, that's just, that's baloney. That's like, that's visioning. That's not, I mean, this, you know, we all know there's this science behind it. Your brain, your brain can change. You can change how you view you. And I think I'm not finishing my sentence, but you get to choose how you view aging. End of story. I think that's what I want to share is like, you get to choose. You age well, you age with wisdom, you age with grace, you age with information. Look, if I knew what I knew at 30, God, we could all be president. But let's take all this amazing knowledge and then enjoy our life versus trying to fight getting older and then share our wisdom forward. But, you know, the only person that can choose whether you view aging as a curse or a gift is yourself. I, re I really appreciate you sort of highlighting in, in talking, frankly, about the drinking. You know, we, we see, you know, we've mentioned this before on, on the cast, but here in Marin, um, we used to be the healthiest county in California, and now we're not. And it's because of the adult binge drinking. Mm -hmm. And we think it's people are just trying to self-medicate. They're trying to make themselves feel better, yeah, get through the day. Mechanism. It's absolutely yeah. a coping mechanism. And what we know around changing behaviors, I mean, is you can't just say, don't do that. You have to give a substitutive, you know, actionable behavior. And I, I really appreciate that you're saying, hey, when you're feeling super depressed or stressed, instead of reaching for a glass of fantastic proof of God's love, aka wine, maybe, you know, put that off or think differently about it or here, try this behavior instead. Because I think, um, uh, you know, the, a central feature of every one of the high level athlete friends now who have moved in their forties and fifties, they've all really curtailed their drinking. They, they see drinking as, Hey, I should drink when I am rested. I should drink when I am on vacation. Yeah. If I'm going to drink when you're at, at all. a wedding to <laughs> cheers someone right, that, but you know, we should treat, treat that alcohol like chocolate cake. Like maybe I'm not going to eat a whole chocolate cake every single day. Sometimes I'm going to eat a whole chocolate cake, but I, I just appreciate that 
that you're you're recognizing and seeing the behaviors as you know self-medicating because I I think we a lot of us you know I, I don't know how I ended up as 46 I just suddenly woke up one day and I was like this <laughs> and I didn't get a I didn't get to go through some class on aging I just had to sort of figure it out unfortunately J Star is my is my partner here but you know I think a lot of people end up with sort of a new set of variables and we're we're not in conversation with community or friends or having these frank discussions about the implications of poor sleep and, and self-medicating with alcohol and et cetera, et cetera. So I just, I really appreciate the, your view on this. Yeah, no, I think this is when I see your new series, I'm like, I think this is the big thing too, right? As we talk about aging, there are certain things we don't want to talk about. There are certain things that are off limits. So to, and look, to be honest, Kelly, when I met you years ago, I was so intimidated by you. Like, it, really, I would have thought of being in the same room as you. If you guys had asked me to be on your podcast a few years ago, I'd have made up some ridiculous excuse because I'd be like, how the hell am I going to be smart? You know, I'm not, I, that my enoughness, like keeping up was like, I'm not going to be smart enough. But the fact that you both are bringing this conversation to people, I believe, that don't talk about, you know, the, there's the light side of aging and then there's a the dark side. You, there's loss and... And the thing I realized, I have nothing wrong, nothing against alcohol at all. But again, it's the why, right? Why are we having this drink? Is it to celebrate my friend's wedding? Is it to celebrate my wedding? Is it to celebrate this view in Greece across, you know, that I'll never be back here again? <laughs> go, go, go. But I've, I, um, just six months ago, I stopped drinking. I read a great book called The Naked Mind. And even like half a glass of wine for me, was affecting my sleep. I'm like, crap, crap, <laughs> crap. It was this, so this annoying. Oh, like two o'clock in the morning, half a glass, I'd wake up. I'm like, shit. And if I want to be around long enough to do the work I want to do, my legacy work, how can I make great habits, not about me, so I can be my best self to serve my work forward? And, you know, I'm not saying I'll never have a glass of wine again, but I can tell you this for certain. I've never felt less anxious, less alone, less depressed, less blue, less, more, more in control that I'm making a good choice of my life. Because when I was having that, my why was like, oh, I'm gonna have a treat because it's six o'clock and I've worked hard. But then I was also watching tea. I was numbing out. So, and it just, what the reward was not worth versus worth the risk, you know, it just didn't play off. But if I go to a friend's wedding, or I'm going to go to Tuscany. I'm not, of course, that's a celebration <laughs> versus a nummification, you know, and to go back to uh, when I was like having that glass of that little bit of wine at three, I'd literally go and look at the clock and go, I am consciously numbing right now. So I'd always say, okay, that makes, I don't know if that makes it all right, but I was consciously numbing. But um, yeah, I don't have, I just say, why? Why am I having this? Is it a celebration or a numbification? I love that. Yeah, you we know, we should make a T-shirt of that too. You know, I think <laughs> the, uh, underneath that too is is really feeling anxiety and feeling stress, and you know, I think I think the the pressures in your forties and fifties really do become significant, and we we are not given coping mechanisms. You know, I, you know, Julia and Juliet's advice got into some therapy, you know, about six years ago, just to talk about you know, my, my family and my, my coping mechanisms, which weren't working for me very well. And now it's really difficult to feel my feelings. 
I, I, Juliet will be like, oh, are you feeling your feelings right now? I'm like, well, what's this you, anxiety? I, let me, let me give you an example, Petra. When I first met Kelly, he would do a speaking engagement and he would feel absolutely no sense of nerves. Like he would be numb to it. He'd just go and like speak at some gigantic conference. And then he sort of got in touch with his feelings and he's like, well, great. Now before I speak, I feel nervous. <laughs> Anxious. Anxious. Excuse me. Anxious. <laughs> Anxious. Okay. Uh, I digress. You know, I can't... Um, Go on in this podcast with, you know, you mentioned a little bit uh, the slim fast in the 80s as part of your diet. And I am sure, um, not knowing you well, but sort of guessing what your lifestyle is like, that nutrition is also uh, something you care about and focus on um, as part of your aging well ritual. Can you tell us a little bit about how you eat, what you do nutritionally, if anything, and how that's evolved over the years from the days of yeah, I mean, I'm not an expert on this at all, and I think for me, it also there's a lot of confusion. Even myself, I get confused. So I've I've dabbled with intermittent fasting, which I find works really well for me. My energy level and my focus is great. I just dabble with it. I'm not an expert, and I kind of what's the word? Um, I'm a flexitarian. I think I dabble <laughs> with this. I dabble with that. Much more. I mean, the thing that really affect me is inflammation. So I've limited my sugar. I'm still, I snack too much still, but definitely whole grains, you know, healthy proteins, healthy fats, you know, following a lot of what's out there. Just for me, it's all about inflammation and eating for my brain and longevity and more just sustainable energy and mood. So just, I dabble in this, I dabble in that. And, but I do find like I did a couple of plans that were really anti-inflammation and the problem with me, because of my history, I find if anything is too restrictive, I tend to bounce back the other way a little bit, um, which is not healthy for me. So I'm trying to find structure without it being um, too limiting. So it can be long sustaining versus, okay, for 30 days, you're going to do this. And then I kind of go, go the other way a little bit. So I don't find black and white for eating works well for me. So I just try and pick and choose what works well. And the big thing I'm trying to do more now than ever, I'm not great at this, is eating earlier to allow that really like a full 12 hours, you know, 10 to 12 hours from going to bed or, and, I, and also eating three hours before I go to bed. It's a big thing for me. Again, it all comes down to sleep. Um, I just found my sleep is so much better. And again, it's like you said, Kelly, longevity my genes are not fab. This is just a state of fact. It's not negative. My, I, we don't have longevity genes. So if I can do whatever I can to switch on the great, you know, the great genes and keep that not so good genes turned off, that's the stuff I'm interested in. And I do the reading on, but I'm not an expert, but I know what foods make me feel good. And I know what foods make me feel not so great. So I, you and I have something in common that is the um, least fun thing to have in common, which is that we have both had cancer twice and we're both relatively young to have had cancer twice. I know from reading and following you over the years that you dealt with having two kinds of cancer with, you know, continuing to take care of your health and moving and being positive. But tell me a little bit about what that was like for you and is like as you consider your aging. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting. People who haven't seen me for a long time, the first thing out of their mouth, Juliet, is like, how are you? I'm like, I'm fine. You know, for me, I'm a lot further out of it than, than yourself. This is 20 years ago. And I could not have imagined. Well, the interesting thing with my first cancer was melanoma. 
and it was on my foot, on the sole of my foot, and it was right by in my heyday. And I remember saying, "Hey, can we just wait till I've done these three conventions?" To, and he's like, "Yeah, no." I was like, "Oh man, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, no, we can't wait." Like I got these commitments, it doesn't matter. And so that was, I just found it interesting. It was on my foot. So I had to stop. I had to stop. It really stopped my career, but Reebok was amazing. And, but then two years later I got Hodgkin's lymphoma and that was what I had said. There was the heavy one to deal with. I had chemo, radiation, lost my hair. And I could not have imagined going through that without having movement. I would have chemo on Monday and I would teach step um, on a Tuesday morning, bald head. And that was my savior because as you know, you know, we, I think if we're in the movement industry, in the exercise fitness industry, we have this idea of control. You know, I'm going to control my diet. I'm going to control my workout. I'm going to control my life. And then you get the cancer diagnosis. You're like, ah, hmm. You know, life is what happens to you when you're busy making plans. But when everything else was out of my control, my health, my future, you know, it's the first time you really face your mortality. The one thing I knew for sure is I could show up the next day. And if I move my body, I wouldn't feel nauseous. I could still move a room of 50 people. There was still joy in that room. And that really was my savior. And the bit that kept me very positive throughout the entire process. I wonder, you know, the movement obviously has it's been shown huge. has been shown to affect oh positively everything right if we could exercise on a pill it would crush anything that we currently have as drugs but i what's really interesting to hear that is that you know you belong to a group of people and that they came and there was that fellowship and community and you know one of the things that i lecture on a lot in high performance environments is that when people are injured they get pulled out of their communities they they're told no or they can't or they they're cut out and there's a lot of social isolation and i think I mean, the worst experience of what happens at, at end of people's lives end up in hospitals and these rooms is terrible lonely but as we get older or accumulate trauma or injury or disease you know we really do lose the 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 narrative of that social fabric and that connection and it's really interesting to hear you say that that was the thing that that kept you going because that's it's one of the what we think is one of the best practices in high performance environments is to belong to other people and to uh, even if you're on crutches you're still going to be in the training with the group you know and I, I just i just can't i can't emphasize how important you know creating tribe and identity and family and, and connection is for wanting to stick around this planet for a long time it's really amazing yeah, I mean, I think yeah and and the movement piece is huge in my own experience huge yeah, I mean, for me, Juliet, I don't know about, about you, it was, I forgot, I forgot <laughs> for that one hour. It wasn't, oh, I'm dealing with cancer. It's like, I am teaching a class. It's like, I, cancer didn't even enter that conversation for 60 minutes. And so maybe it's almost like active recovery for your brain. It's just like, I just <laughs> right. need minutes not to think about my next treatment. And I think I, what you said, Kelly, is so true this idea of social connection, we, we're throwing this word around a lot right now, the importance of community. But I can tell you as someone who works from home in New York City, like yesterday, I did not leave my house yesterday. And this morning I woke up and I felt weird. I was like, I couldn't wait to get to class, you know, because, and, and because we have that wherewithal, we are aware of our feelings, but I can only imagine how many people 
go a day without not really connecting or talking, go two days, go three days, go four. And it's that slow, it's that chip in the teacup. So if we can all just remember as human beings that, you know, that one hi to someone, a stranger in the street, or how are you today? And re-look them in the eye in the grocery line. That might be the one interaction that they've had with that day and that one, hi, how are you? You know, how's your day going? And a really meaningful conversation with a stranger could be the best medicine that that person's going to have that day, even that week. So I think remembering this human connectedness um, as we get older and the importance of, of community and not only with the people that you know, like the connection of everybody around us. And I think connecting to people that are not alike to us, you know, this whole, like, we tend to go to the tribe that we know. Let's just try and use movement and these conversations to connect on a human heart level. I just, as you said, it was one of the things, one of the most important gifts we can give to the world right now is showing up um, and connecting to those we know and those that we don't. I'm going to be in New York next Thursday, and I can't wait to chat with a bunch of strangers on the subway. <laughs> Hi. Maybe not the subway. New Yorkers don't like yeah. that. Can well, you know, it, it's anywhere but the subway. <laughs> we don't do subway. I, uh, you know, what's interesting is every time we go in New York, we notice that people are, you know, really keen on their dogs in New York, and it's because I think that they they're they're missing this this isolation. And that they're, you know, they're feel or they're feeling this isolation, and it's the dog has really become surrogate for being able to initiate conversation. It's really, it's been I have witnessed this now on multiple times in New York, and been shocked at the fact that if you took dogs away from people, I don't think people would even talk to each other. Dogs and babies, those are the two things. Yes. Dogs and the babies. connectors, the connect, the connectors. So uh, I sort of I want to. We touched on it a little bit, but I want to talk a little bit more about the driver of looking good. And what made me think about it is I actually read an article last night in the New York Times that was like headline news that Keanu Reeves had gone to some event with his. He's fifty five, she's forty six, and it was big news because. She actually has gray hair and clearly hasn't had plastic surgery and a bunch of Botox. And so the whole point of the article was how lovely it was that Keanu Reeves is the only man in Hollywood who's willing to date a woman who looks her age. And, you know, I, I think it's interesting in this, you know, you've been in the fitness world for so long. I do think as women, when we age, there is a lot of both external and internal pressure to look a certain way and try to keep up appearances. You know, how do you manage that just in with your own body that I'm sure is changing in ways that you don't love and, you know, in, in the ways in which you speak to people about this? Oh gosh. Yeah. Um, so with my, with, the, with my, my, my body's one thing and my face is another, right? So, so I, <laughs> cause I can hide my body, let's be honest. Um, but like, so I'm, I'm, I'm a, I speak a lot. So, and I gotta be honest, when I moved back to New York, people were saying, are you going to go back to teaching? Cause I have be had begun to pivot into speaking and a big part of me saying, you know, I want to move and still be hopefully motivating and inspiring and connecting people, but I want to do it more through language versus movement was because I didn't want to have to try and keep a six pack, at, you know, and not saying that you can't, but I'm not genetically gifted that way. So aging, like when I look at my body now, I am just, I'm just grateful. I just want to be in a body that doesn't have pain, has freedom of motion and is as strong as it can be in the body that I was gifted with. End of story. I don't want to like not work hard, but I want to honor the body I'm in. 
But the, I got to be honest, Juliet, God dang, this whole face thing, my neck, it's my neck. It's like, <laughs> oh my God. I feel like my, I feel like I got my body and then I got my face and then I have this bridge called my neck that's like 10 years ahead of my face. It's like, oh God. So I look, and I speak and then you sometimes, you know this, Kelly, you've got these massive screens behind you and then I get my recording. Where they back. can see your pores. Oh, geez. I'm like, who needs high definition? I'm like, please no, put a silk stocking over the camera. I don't need the definition. <laughs> but I have to look under the question of like, I've, look, I've had Botox. Um, I, I staved off it for like four years and I was like, oh, I begin to, I look angry. So I started having again in my furrows. Um, and then I go, then I look at my neck and I kind of, you know, I've done that being honest. I've, I've looked at it and I kind of pulling it back in the mirror. I go, oh, I like how that looks. I mean, so it's that balance between aging well and then aging up to society standards. And what are we selling right now? And I think the interesting thing is if we think of a, I'm going to just use 40s, like 40s or 50s, you know, a few years, like in the, in the 30s, 40s, there was no Photoshop. There wasn't plastic surgery as we know it today. And what I think is so interesting when I see someone now who's aged, even like 60s, 70s, the first thing I do, this is being honest, I have they had plastic surgery? Because I don't know anymore. I think this is where the challenge comes. I don't know what aging normally looks like anymore. I really hmm. don't. I don't have a role model in front of me that probably hasn't had a little bit of surgery done. You know, um, there was, I love this show on Netflix, The uh, Kaminsky Method. And it's with Michael Douglas and Jane Seymour was just on it. And it was the first time they actually aged her up. They had, she had her hair was gray and I thought she looked absolutely beautiful. But then I look at other women my age, I'm like, oh my gosh, is that what I look like? So I find that we, I'm, I'm kind of judgy. And then I'm wondering why I'm judging myself so harshly. So I'm just trying to use self-compassion, self-awareness. And then there's that, then under that why, like, okay, why are you deciding to have Botox this year? Is it to be on stage? Is it because you feel you have to look a certain way to be relevant? Or I'm just being honest, is it the real question? Like if I look a certain way, I'm going to have five to six or seven more years and as, as a speaker, I don't know. Hmm. I mean, yeah, well, People, um, I get a lot of comments on my body on the interweb. Yeah, yeah. And and I if it makes you feel better, Petra, um, I just got this crazy facial where they basically burned all the skin off my face and I look like a molting snake for two weeks. Um, and in the end, I don't really think it made a big difference in my skin. Um, look, and I just looked like a freak for two I, weeks. I just want to just go on record as saying I can only speak for myself, but you amazing women Right now, there's something or some switch in my brain has been thrown where I'm like, wow, Julia doesn't have any student loan debt. She has 401k. She has health insurance. <laughs> she doesn't even sleep on a futon from college. Like She owns her car. Like, that's so hot. I'm going to remember that. I'm not She's already kidding. had her kids. I'm like, dude, this is this woman. Let's let's party. And and I just want to add to that you're not alone because I, um, in a twisted way, occasionally have fantasies of taking like two of my closest friends and going and checking into like a Beverly Hills plastic surgery spa, going dark for like a month and just, you know, doing it all. 
So I know. you're not alone. Fortunately, oh. men aren't vain at you all. You know, the, the, I'll be honest. If I hadn't, <laughs> um, if I hadn't been uh, unfortunate enough to have some surgeries recently, thanks to cancer, uh, mm. you know, I, I might already be down there in Beverly Hills. But I just don't really want to have more surgery. <laughs> I think that's the thing too, right? If I'm going to save my surgery for when I really need it, you know, yes. how many times you have to go under. But yeah, you know, it's it's a it's a I think I'd be lying if I said it's easy getting older, but I also don't want to waste my, and I battle with myself on this. I do not want to waste my years worrying about how I'm aging. Cause I know I'm going to look back at 65 to this age. Like we always do. If you only knew how amazing you were sister, just celebrate it. So just be joyful for the body that we have, the life that we're living having meaning and purpose in our lives. That's, I want that to be my driver, you know, how I'm living, not what, how I look like. Well, the irony of course, is that if you sleep, <laughs> limit your alcohol, eat whole foods, exercise, find a community, you'll look better when you're 90. I mean, that's, you know, unfortunately, you know, the things that, you know, we always talk about winning the short game, but playing the long game and the doing both is actually the same recipe. Petra, where would we find more uh, like your books, your, you on Instagram? How, how do people, how do people tap into you? your fabulous brain? Well, the easiest way is just my name, P-E-T-R-A-K-O-L-B-E-R.com. It's Petra Kolber on Instagram, Facebook, you know, uh, Twitter, I'm rarely on, but that's how you can find me. And if we're going to, if we're going to, if I'm coming to the, the club in New York City, are you spinning? Yeah. DJ, DJ Petra. Where can we find you DJing? Oh, right now I'm actually down in, I was spinning actually at a hotel, but now that was Rosie on the rooftop. So right now I'm not, that's not going to be my next career, but I am looking to mix <laughs> DJing into my keynoting because the power and the end game is if we bring it back to community, the digital DJing was built on the vinyl records of the history and the shoulders of the legacy makers. So at the end of the day, whatever age we are, we all need each other to move everything forward in a beautiful and bold way. Fact. Before we end, um, can you and I become best friends? You're so fun. Oh, we already are. I'm like Velcro. Once you have me in your life, Juliet, sorry. <laughs> I'm just, you're going to see me popping up. I mean, I become like a stalker, but in a really nice way, not in a bad way. That's fine. And I'll, I'm ready. I'll, I'll say this is also very typical where I have met you. We've been on the stage together. We, we're friends. And then you ditch me for my wife. Thanks. <laughs> Well, Petra, it is just an honor to have you and so fun to talk to you about all this. We could go on and on, but, um, you know, we just are very grateful for you spending the time with us. Oh, thank you guys so much for this privilege. Really, I look up to you both um, in many ways, also as a couple that are really inspiring us all to age well and move well and move for the right reasons. So thank you very much. We appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Ready State Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, check out all our episodes here or at thereadystate.com. And be sure to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes to help others find our show. The Ready State is the new home of MobilityWAD, where we've assembled the most comprehensive database of guided movement mechanics and mobility videos, all with the goal to help improve performance and eliminate pain. At its core, our message has always focused on helping you be more ready. Ready for your next race? Ready for next workout, ready to keep up with your kids, pretty much ready for anything life throws your way. Check us out and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The Ready State. Until next time, cheers, everyone. You got it. You better stop it.
Kelly Starrett is the New York Times bestselling author of Becoming a Supple Leopard and Ready to Run. He's a coach, a physical therapist, an athlete, and an innovator who works with elite athletes as well as everyday people who just want to be happier and healthier in their lives. Juliette Starrett is the co-founder and CEO of both San Francisco CrossFit and The Ready State, co-founder of StandUpKids.org, a writer, an entrepreneur, and a world champion athlete. Our theme music was provided by Rogue Wave. You got it. You better stop it.